Well, brethren, if someone were to describe your Christian life in one word, one word, what would you want that word to be? In other, in other words, if someone examined your Christianity and had to sum it up, how would you want them to summarize it? What, what word would you want them to use? Now, there's no right or wrong answer, of course. There are a lot of positive ways our spiritual life could be described. We could maybe say strong, or I'd like them to use the word vibrant, or zealous, or loving. All of those would be great words to describe our spiritual lives. But I submit to you that there is one answer that would be an honor for any of us to have used to describe us, and that is balanced. If someone looked at your life, your spiritual life, and summarized it as balanced, that is a balanced Christian, that would be about probably one of the best compliments we could ever receive, I think. Does your life, does my life reflect spiritual balance? Of course, that leads to some questions. What does it mean to be balanced? What does it mean to be spiritually unbalanced? Does the Bible teach spiritual balance? And does this have any connection to the Feast of Pentecost we will celebrate tomorrow? Well, let's begin by looking at, looking at this topic by turning to 2 Timothy. Let's turn to the book of 2 Timothy, and we'll read a somewhat familiar passage, but maybe emphasize something in it a little differently than we usually do, perhaps. So we'll turn to 2 Timothy, and we're going to look at chapter 1 and verse 6. These are words the Apostle Paul says to his to his, the person he mentored in life, in, in the ministry at least, Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. Paul writes to, to Timothy, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of, hand, of my hands. So he's telling you, know, stir up the Holy Spirit. Become more spiritually strong. Of course, that's a Pentecost message right there, but we're going to focus on verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. The Holy Spirit doesn't lead to fear, but it leads to these three things. A spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. We're going to focus on that third one this afternoon. The sound mind. The Spirit of God leads to a sound mind. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word there is sophronismos. And Thayer's Greek lexicon defines the word this way, the concept or the word. Sound mind, sophronismos, an admonishing or calling to soundness of mind, to moderation and self-control. That's an interesting word. Keep that word in mind, to moderation, to, to staying away from the extremes, and self-control. It takes self-control to be moderate, doesn't it? it so oftentimes, our, the passions of life lead us to one extreme or another, but Moderations takes self-control. Zadiades explains it this way, quote, Sophronismos describes a person who limits his own freedom and ability with proper thinking, proper thinking, demonstrating self-control with the proper restraints on all the passions and desires. One who voluntarily places limitations on his freedom to prudently restrict one's freedom. So we see these concepts of moderation, self-control, limiting one's freedom. 
Let's take a closer look at that word moderation. Moderation, the word means to live in a way that's reasonable or not excessive, avoiding extremes of behavior or expression. Or another way of saying moderation is to say balance, be balanced, to be sensible, spiritually steady, reasonable in how we live our lives, and avoiding spiritual extremes. We can think of it as the fulcrum of a seesaw or a teeter-totter. You know, the fulcrum is right there in the middle. The fulcrum is the balance. And to be of a sound mind, we want to be at the fulcrum. We want to be right there balanced in the middle, not off to one extreme or the other. And brethren, we see so much extreme in our culture today. It seems our culture could be summarized as extreme. We look at politics and we see both sides going to extremes. One side is extreme in this and the other side is extreme in that. We see entertainment and media becoming more extreme. The whole society seems to be becoming more extreme and people who are of a balanced, sound, moderate mind aren't really those who are respected in society today. But brethren, as converted Christians, we have to come out of that extreme element of society and allow God's Holy Spirit to develop a sound mind, a balanced mind, a balanced approach to life. So how do we use God's Spirit to develop a sound mind, to be spiritually balanced? What we're going to do for the remainder of the message is look at four areas of our Christian life, and we'll see examples of an unbalanced approach to those areas, but then focus on what is the balanced approach, what is the fulcrum, what is the center, where does God want us to be, what is having a sound mind in that area, what does it look like? So the title this afternoon is The Spiritually Balanced Christian. The Spiritually Balanced Christian. Let's begin by looking at the first area of our lives we will cover today, and that is righteousness. Big concept, righteousness. Are we spiritually balanced in righteousness? How we live our life, living our life in a right, proper, godly way. Is it possible to be unbalanced in righteousness? Can we be too righteous? Well, obviously, one extreme would be to be totally unrighteous, not caring what God says, not caring how to live, uh, just living however we decide to live. That would be obviously one extreme. But then, is it possible to be extreme on the other side, to be too righteous? Actually, the Bible says that is possible. Let's turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll turn to the book of Ecclesiastes because Solomon has has an interesting observation about life. We believe Solomon wrote this towards the end of his life. And when you look at Solomon's life, really, one way you can summarize most of his young years, most of his prime years, would be a man who went to extremes. Extremes in wealth, extremes in women, extremes in opulence. He, he kind of, uh, he had the ability, he had the resources, and he allowed that to take him to extremes. And then when we get to the old man writing in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's kind of, one way you can summarize it, he's saying, you know, you need to avoid those extremes. You need to avoid those extremes. And this is one area he found an extreme. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 16. He writes here in verse 16, do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? So he's actually saying, in a sense, you can become so righteous or so wise that you actually self-destruct, you destroy yourself. How how is that possible to be overly righteous, too righteous, unbalanced in personal righteousness? 
Well, can we think of an example of any group of people in the Bible who fit that definition, perhaps? I don't think there's any better, and you're probably thinking the same, I don't think there's any better example than the Pharisees. The Pharisees became unbalanced on the righteous side of the spectrum. I mean, they cared about righteousness, but they cared about it to an unbalanced extreme. And Christ was constantly kind of uh, bringing that to their attention, correcting them on that. Let's turn to Matthew 6 now. Let's go back to the New Testament. And we'll see that a lot of Christ's words and admonition to the Pharisees really can be summarized. You guys need to find spiritual balance. You're, You're extreme. Your approaches are extreme. Your teachings are extreme. And Christ was trying to, I I doubt he converted many of them, maybe some of them, maybe Nicodemus got the message, but he was trying to bring them back to the center, finding the right motivation. So we're here in Matthew 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7, and we're going to see two examples of areas of life, deeds that we would consider righteousness, charitable giving, charitable deeds, and prayer. Both very important things, but we'll see these people took it to, a, a, to an extreme that was too righteous, as Solomon might say. Matthew 6, verse 1, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So he's saying these people, you know, they're doing something that's right, something that we would call righteous, but they're doing it to an extreme where it means nothing. It's all, they do it to gain uh, publicity for themselves. They do it to, to draw attention to themselves. They do it to maybe make themselves feel better or just to make other people think highly of them. Again, it's an extreme. They were doing a righteous thing, but they were too righteous with it and taking it to a, a, a wrong extreme. Verse 3, he then brings them back to the center, back to the fulcrum. But when you do a charitable deed, you know, maybe he turns to his disciples, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So that's the center. Do it for the right motivation. Don't do it to make a show of it. Do it from a genuine love and heart to help others. Do it secretly. Do it for the genuine motive. That's the balance. Verse 5, and then he turns to prayer. Again, another area of righteousness. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Again, making a show of it, an unbalanced. They were doing something righteous, but too righteous, unbalanced. Assuredly, I say to you, they will have their reward. And have you ever seen people make a show out of prayer? I've seen that before. I've, you sometimes see it at restaurants. Uh, you know, you, not to judge people, but sometimes you just discern that this is more of a show than it is a genuine prayer and communication with God. Verse 6 But when you pray, he brings them back to the balance. Go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So here's the balance. Here's the intent. This is what prayer is to do. It's to increase and strengthen our relationship with God, to make that connection, not to use it as a display or a show of righteousness. That's the balance. 
So the Pharisees were unbalanced, and he tried to bring them back to the center. You know, you need to be doing these righteous things, but you need to be doing them for the right reasons and with the right approach. Let's now turn to Romans 10, and we'll read some words that Paul wrote that I think also speak to this issue of spiritual balance. Even though he didn't use that word, oftentimes they don't use the exact word that we use in English, but the concept is there. That's the spirit of what he's saying. And we'll see Paul as another person who came from an unbalanced background. I mean, Paul came up uh, as a Pharisee. You know, he was a very strict, and you know, he actually had a violent nature as well. That was an unbalanced approach to life as well. So here we have a man who went from an unbalanced approach to spiritual life to a balanced approach after he was converted and received God's spirit. And here we see him talking about this talking about the people he came from, Israel, probably directed mainly at the leadership. Uh, Romans 10, verses 1, we'll begin in verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Of course, we know zeal is a good thing. Zeal is a spiritual issue. Philadelphia, in Revelation 3, you know, they, they had zeal. They were on fire. But he's saying, Israel, at least the leadership, they have a zeal for God, but it's not balanced. It's not balanced by knowledge. Verse 3, for they being ignorant, and I think this is the key, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God, God's standards, that's the balance, that's the fulcrum, that's where God's people need to be. And he says, you know, Israel has strayed into their own righteousness, human righteousness, creating their own standards of righteousness, and they lost the balance of God's righteousness. They become so unbalanced. For Christ is the end, the aim, or the target of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The righteousness and the law is to lead us to Christ. But they were again doing it for their own righteousness, creating their own personal standards. And Paul said that had led them off track. But the, the purpose, the, the real takeaway of verse 3 for us is God's righteousness being the fulcrum, being the balance, being the place where we need to be, trying to find what God's standard is and sticking to that, not rejecting that and going off on one extreme or going overboard with that, adding to it and going to another extreme, which the Pharisees did. So we need a balanced approach to righteousness. So we, we seek to study God's word and to realize and learn what God's standard of righteousness is, and then we try to stick at that as the fulcrum, keep that as the balance. That is the foundation. So let's now move on to our second area of life. That was righteousness. So we need a balanced approach to righteousness. We don't want to be like a Pharisee. We don't want to be unrighteous either, but we don't want to be overly righteous like the Pharisees. The next area of life we're going to look at is approach towards God's law. Can we become unbalanced in our approach towards God's law? This is is really connected to the first point, but I want to give it a special emphasis here. And we're here in Romans 10, so let's keep reading here in verse 4. We'll emphasize verse 4. It's interesting. I think verse 4 is really one of the most underrated pro-law scriptures, pro-law as in pro-law, L-A-W, scriptures in the entire Bible. It's often used to attack God's law, but when you really understand what Paul's saying here, it's the, the, one of the best endorsements for God's law in the entire New Testament. 
But here he leads us to the balance on our approach to God's law. Verse 4, for Christ is the end. That word means the aim, the target, the intent. That's where it's to lead to of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the end of the law here doesn't mean it's abolished. That's not at all what it's saying. It means the law leads to it. The law is the pathway to it. Every day when I get out of my car at the office, I walk on a pathway up to the door to enter the building. The pathway leads me to the building. It's the whole purpose of the pathway is to lead me into the building so I can go to work. The pathway doesn't lead to itself. The pathway doesn't lead out into the woods. The pathway leads to the building. Now, just because the pathway ends at the building and I get off the path to go into the building, does that mean the pathway is abolished or done away with? No, the pathway has led me to the destination, and I'll continue using the pathway every day. And the law is that pathway that leads us to Jesus Christ, that leads us to his character, that leads us to his kingdom, that leads us to his way of thinking and his way of living. So we see the, the law of God as a pathway that leads us to Christ. It ends in Christ. So every time we keep God's law correctly, it's to lead us to become more and more like Jesus Christ because it's a reflection of his character. But we can take an unbalanced approach to that. Let's turn to Matthew 23. Back to the Gospels, Matthew chapter 23, and we'll see here Christ is again getting on the Pharisees about an unbalanced approach, in this case, to the law of tithing. Of course, the law of tithing is one of God's laws we find in the Old Testament. It's something we should do, but we'll see here that Christ not only points out an imbalance, he shows what the balance needs to be. Matthew chapter 23. Doctrinally speaking, one of the best pro-tithing scriptures in the New Testament. But I think we also get this concept of balance here. Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you unbalanced people, you, you people who get off to the extremes. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, But you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, the more important matters, justice, mercy, and faith, those you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So we see here that they had a very unbalanced approach to the law of tithing. Now, they didn't reject the law of tithing. Of course, if they didn't tithe at all, that would be one imbalance. That would be a very unbalanced approach on one side. But they became so ultra-serious about it, so meticulous to it, so fixated on the, the method and the counting of seeds that that was all they got out of it. They weren't tithing to honor the God of the universe with their substance, with their seeds and spices. They weren't tithing with that in mind at all. They weren't tithing with, with that as their motivation. You know, when we tithe, that's the intent of it is not just to calculate percentages, right? That it's not just a mathematical equation. The purpose of tithing is to honor God with our substance, with our, with our income, and then to show honor and worship and respect towards him by giving him his tenth of that. And then, of course, that should lead us to love him more and to honor him and to want to be more like him. That's the proper approach. I want to tithe to God because this is his and he is the creator of all things and I want to honor him with my substance, with my income. 
And because I want to honor him with my substance and income, I want to be more like him. And Christ draws them to that, the character issue, justice, mercy, and faith. Ultimately, they should have been tithing Mint Annis and Kuman to honor God and become more like him. He's a just God. He's a merciful God. He's a faithful God. And that's where the balance is, not focusing so much on the, the equations, focusing so much on going through the motions that you lose the spirit behind it. So he's saying, you don't want to stop tithing, you want to do that, but find the balance. Tithe for the right reasons. Tithe with the right emphasis. It should lead you to become more like God, not just lead you to be 10% less wealthy than you were before. And that's really what it was accomplishing for the Pharisees. Of course, we also see in the New Testament that the Pharisees were very unbalanced about the Sabbath as well. They added hundreds of laws and regulations to the Sabbath and were constantly attacking Christ for doing things that weren't sin on the Sabbath. They were sin according to their unbalanced approach to the Sabbath, but they weren't sin according to God's principles. So you go to Mark 2, verses 27 through 28. I don't think we need to turn there. We know that section of Scripture well. And Christ brings them to the balance on the Sabbath. You know, he says, the Sabbath was made for man. You're making the Sabbath all about what man has to regulate himself to do for God. The purpose of the Sabbath is what God has given to us and being spiritually strengthened and rejuvenated by it. And they, they had lost that balance, but he was trying to bring them back to the original purpose of the Sabbath. You're keeping the Sabbath, but do it for the right reasons, guys. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. You should be focusing on the Lord of the Sabbath, on the God who created the Sabbath. That should be the emphasis, not just on regulating people's um, lives to the extent that you're coming up with laws that God never intended or desired people to have to do on the Sabbath, making it so burdensome, so extreme that it's, I, I don't even, you know, I, I just do it to keep the Pharisees off my back. You know, I'm sure that's the approach many people took to it, but that's not the approach of the Sabbath. Let's end this section by looking at Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, because I think God knew that human beings would have this tendency. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. And he gave this warning. Moses gives this warning. He's inspired by God to give this warning as he's preparing them to go into the promised land to try to find that middle, to try to find the fulcrum with the law that, he, that they had been given at Mount Sinai and that they were to take into the promised land to use as their guide for life. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. And you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Again, find the balance. Don't add to it. Don't make it too burdensome. Don't make it overly regulating. And don't take away from it. Don't become too liberal on it either. Find the balance. Find exactly what God's purpose and intent is for it and stick with that. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we don't have to make judgments sometimes and sometimes maybe err on the side of caution on decisions regarding the law. That's a different thing than what the Pharisees were doing. But our goal and purpose for the law of God is to always find that where it's leading us. And that goes back to what Paul wrote. Its end, its aim, its intent is to lead us to Christ and to his kingdom and to his character. So that's the balanced approach to the law. Let's look at the third area. Let's take a look at the third area of life where we can become unbalanced. And that is doctrine. The third area is doctrine. I think over the years we've seen 
Probably all of us have seen people who have become unbalanced doctrinally. Doctrinal extremes have been a constant challenge to God's people. In fact, in our comparative religion class, Mr. Johnson teaches a class on the winds of doctrine, and a lot of those winds are doctrinal extremes, people getting off on extremes and emphasizing them too high. You know, one extreme could be, when, when it comes to doctrine, is that we fall into the ditch that doctrine is really not important. You know, it's really not important what we believe, as long as we kind of love each other and get along. What we believe is of relative importance. Obviously, that's not a correct, that's an extreme, and that's not a correct approach to doctrine. The Bible gives doctrines, and we should understand them properly. But another extreme can be where we become so fixated on relatively minor issues, what we sometimes in the church have called twiggy issues, you know, out on the twigs, that we, we become so fixated on those things, and then we emphasize those things like they are fundamental doctrines, like they're the trunk of the tree, when they're actually twigs, maybe interesting maybe interesting to look at, maybe speculative, but if we elevate those twigs to being the trunk of the tree, we fall off of the tree. 2 Timothy 2. Let's look at what Paul wrote about this. Of course, as we get deeper into the New Testament, we find a lot more warnings from people like Paul and Peter and John about doctrine, because this was the time that many in the, among the church of God, or even outside of it, were we're going off into different doctrinal ideas and corrupting the original teachings that Christ put into his church. So we see Paul constantly warning about this. But here's another warning he gives to Timothy, and I think we can summarize this warning as Timothy helped the God's people become doctrinally grounded, doctrinally sound, doctrinally balanced. 2 Timothy 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 14. Remind them, of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. So, you know, if you get off and you're just arguing about the meaning and the nuances of Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic, uh, you know, you're probably off to an extreme. If this is arguing, if you're arguing and this is causing division and dividing people, uh, you're elevating something of minor importance to uh, a fundamental issue, and that's, that's an extreme. Warn them not to do that. Verse 15, but here's the balance. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly using it, finding the right balance with it, dividing it properly, balancing it properly. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And those things, those doctrinal imbalances, usually do produce to division and ungodliness, and they usually never end anywhere good. So this really isn't a warning here against just outright heresy. It, it really seems that he's warning them more about getting off into these little twiggy fringe issues. Twi twiggy fringe issues. You know, and sometimes this can happen when we get unbalanced in Bible study. You know, you can study too much. You can become so fixated and, and so into Bible study that you're studying constantly that you can sometimes study yourself right out of the faith. I've known people in the past who I would described that way. They overstudied the Bible, and they overstudied so much that they got into fringe issues and then elevated those to fundamentals, and they studied themselves right on, out of the church. It's not wrong to study different things, but again, we have to remain doctrinally balanced and keep the fundamentals as the fundamentals, remain, remaining grounded to the trunk of the tree. That's the balanced approach, the trunk of the tree. 
So to stay balanced and doctrinally sound, we stay grounded in the fundamentals. Studying God's word, a lot of times, to learn the fundamentals better. Sometimes people study to learn new things. That, necessarily, that shouldn't necessarily be the focus of Bible study. Study to understand the fundamentals better. So that's a balanced approach to doctrine. Let's look at one final approach of life where we must find balance. And that is our speech. Number four is our speech. Probably the hardest part of life to find the bright balance in. I struggle with it, and I expect many others in this room struggle with it. It can be either finding balance in our speech, what we say with our words, or what we type with our fingers. You know, one extreme could be we're so timid and afraid to speak that we never speak anything. We can become what we have the term mousy. You know, extreme shyness just never, never takes a stand, never says anything. That's, that's one extreme to our speech, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be there. You know, we have to speak the truth in love. But then there's the other extreme of becoming impulsive and undisciplined in our speech. You know, just saying or typing whatever comes to mind or speaking whatever our first impulse tells us to, but this can lead us to become impetuous, to be impulsive, and can get us in a lot of trouble. We can become the type of person who talks constantly and never gives another person a, a the ability to engage in a conversation with us because we're unbalanced, because we just constantly talk. Those things can be challenges. I think that's a problem we see in the life of the Apostle Peter, where we don't have time to go into his life, but throughout his earlier days, this was a problem for him. He was an impulsive speaker. He wasn't balanced in his speech a lot of the times. He oftentimes just said whatever came to mind. Sometimes he said ridiculous things, and Christ had to correct him on those things had to uh, bring him back into balance. But, you know, after, in time, after he became more strong spiritually and was converted and had God's spirit for a number of years, he became a more balanced Christian leader, and he didn't speak like that anymore. We're not going to go to his words, but let's look at the book of James now, a good place to go when it comes to balance in our speech, because James puts a strong emphasis on this topic. Again, he doesn't use the term balance here, but when you analyze it, it's essentially what he's saying. Balance in our speech. Balance in our approach to our words. You know, thinking things through before we say them. That's often the key to balance. James 1, verse 19. James 1, verse 19. So then... My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. It's interesting. We, he, we see he covers three things here, hearing, speaking, and anger. And all of those things, he's not saying to never be, never speak, or to speak all the times. He, he, he's bringing us into balance. He says here, swift to hear. You know, don't fall into the extreme of not listening to what others say. You know, try to be balanced in that. Hear. Don't ignore other people, but don't just hear and never speak as well. You need to be swift, give, give attention to hearing and be balanced in that. And then he says, slow to speak. So don't fall into the extreme of constant silence, but don't speak impulsively either. You know, be thoughtful and considerate of the words we speak. Be intentional and careful. So that's what slow to speak means, you know, thinking, about, thinking it out, thinking of the consequences, analyzing the consequences. Sometimes that has to happen really quick. 
Is this really what we want to say? Is this, is this going to edify? Is this going to help? Slow to wrath. You know, don't fall into the extreme of always flying off the handle, you know, always being upset and angry about something, losing your temper, but also don't be so passive that you never get passionate either. You know, if you're, there is a time for righteous wrath, but he's saying be slow to that. Keep the balance. Keep the balance. It's really a lifelong endeavor. In verse 26, if we look down at verse 26, it really shows us the importance of this, of this area of life. He says, if any among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, does not control it, is not moderate in it, is not balanced in it, but deceives his heart, this one's religion is useless. So Paul is showing us how important this topic is. Or James, I'm sorry, I'm in the book of James. James is showing us how important this topic is. So that's the final area of our Christian lives we're going to discuss in this message. But I think we saw all of these areas have extremes we can fall into, and they can all have balance, which is what, right where God is, right where Christ is. Let's conclude by reading a few scriptures in Titus. Let's turn over to Titus chapter 1. And we'll see here more words that Paul is giving to another one of his, the people he mentored in life, Titus. You could say one of his students. Now, he's specifically here applying this to the ministry. He's talking about the way a bishop needs to be. But, of course, that's not exclusive to a bishop. He's giving common areas of life that especially a bishop needs to be balanced in. But the, the, these areas of life that he talks about here apply to all of us. We should never look at Scripture and say, okay, that only applies to that group of people. Obviously, we apply it all to ourselves. And here we see him giving this admonition to Titus over verses 7 through 9, and I think we'll see a lot of this really can be summed up. Titus, be spiritually balanced. Titus 1, verse 7. For a bishop or an overseer, but we could also say for a Christian— For a Christian must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered. There's balance in temperament, not going to the extreme of having a short fuse or having no fuse at all. You know, don't be quick-tempered. Be balanced in your temperament. Not given to wine, of course, balance in alcohol consumption. Don't don't be imbalanced there. Don't, Don't become a drunk. That's obviously unbalanced. That's extreme. But be not given to wine, not violent. Violence is obviously an extreme we should avoid. Not greedy for money, being balanced in how we view money, having a proper approach to money as a tool, not as the aim of life. Verse 8, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded. There's that word sofran. The sofran is there, sober-minded, sofran, from where we get sophronismos. We, we read that earlier in Second Timothy a sound mind, be balanced of mind, be a stable mind, just, holy, self-controlled. And again, balance involves self-control because it takes self-control to be balanced. It takes self-control to keep ourselves in the center. Kind of the natural, the natural desire of life is to go to extremes. It takes self-control to be balanced, to find the fulcrum. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, you know, balanced doctrine, focused on the fundamentals, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So a balanced approach to doctrine. 
And I really think that section of scripture is all about finding balance in life, finding spiritual balance, making Christ and God's word the fulcrum of our life. So brethren, what is the ultimate key to finding balance in our spiritual lives? Well, I think it's what we just said. It's finding exactly what God's standard is in every aspect of life and then being centered on that standard. It's making God's standard, the standard of this book, the fulcrum of our lives. It's using his spirit to have that sound mind, to use that spirit to keep ourselves out of the extremes in either direction, but to keep ourselves balanced. Ultimately, Jesus Christ's life was and is the best example of spiritual balance. Brethren, as we observe the day of Pentecost tomorrow, let's also focus on this important function of God's spirit. Let's continue to strive to use his spirit to grow in, yes, power, love, but particularly a sound mind. In this message, we explored four areas of our spiritual life and how we can become balanced or unbalanced in those areas. We covered righteousness, approach to God's law, doctrine, and speech. But there are many other areas of life that we can examine from this perspective, examine those areas of life to find where's the imbalance, where are the extremes, and what is the balanced approach, where, where's God's fulcrum, and stick to that. So brethren, let's use God's Holy Spirit to stay away from extremes and become more and more spiritually balanced.